Hello and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and movies and TV shows and whatnot of our youth to see if they are still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we're doing a uh, a user request that is a long <laughs> never going to get over that. I'm never going to stop saying it because why it's not? It's stuck in your brain now. It's stuck in my brain. And so, it's, a, so it's a user request and it's a long time coming. Like almost a year now. Mm-hmm. And before we get into that, we had a snafu. So this is a re-recording. Uh, we had... Th- the computer deleted this episode and we had to go back and redo everything. So here we are. We've, we've committed and this has been have, requested so many times. That we, it just makes sense that we do it twice. It would just make sense. It has to get done. You know what? Actually, maybe we'll delete this and we'll do it a third time because it's been requested so I don't much. like you guys that much. Okay. Not yeah, no, all. I don't. No, I yeah, definitely don't either. We have to thank somebody who has made this request over and over again and that's Sean Gleason. He was the guy... Who last year, I don't know if anybody remembers, we mentioned going back and binging an entire year's worth of shows in a matter of weeks. So And I've gone back and listened to those to those earlier episodes and just yeah, if you're starting from here, start from here and go back because I, you know these what? episodes are good. I think you could probably start like maybe episode twenty-five or so and forward. Yeah, that's probably a good place to start. Yeah. After we got a better mic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go with that. <laughs> so and without further ado. That is Rock and Rule. Rock and Rule. Good band, hot music. The best of times. It could have lasted forever. Journey to a world where the cosmic forces of music, magic, and technology collide, bringing you head to head with a beast from another dimension. The Beauty, songs by Deborah Harry. The Beast, songs by Lou Reed and Iggy Pop. The Beat, songs by Cheap Trick and Earth, Wind and Fire. Rock and Rule. Rock and Rule is you're a welcome. Mo- yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Rock and Rule is a uh, it's an animated movie from 1983. It's a Canadian adult animated musical science fiction fantasy film. I don't know if they could throw more descriptors into that description. Maybe post apocalyptic might be good too. I don't know. I always like to go to Wikipedia and find their weird description when I when I'm building the notes and I'm looking around and putting stuff together. I'm like, I want to go to Wikipedia and I want to see what derpy idiot put this giant descriptor in for no good reason that's <laughs> yeah. what they put in and it was released april 15 1983 it had a runtime of 77 minutes with a budget of eight million dollars and a box office of thirty thousand three hundred seventy nine dollars it also currently holds a rotten tomato score of 72 percent and you'll find that through... that's user yeah that's that's those are those are hmm. You'll find that a lot of that is probably due to nostalgia. Maybe people remembering this movie from a long time ago and thinking fondly of it. And overall, it was not that 
Well, right. it was. Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll get, we'll get into, into it. it. Yeah. The screenplay for this movie was done by John Halfpenny and Peter Sauter, and the story is by Patrick Lubert and Peter Sauter. Uh, we got to mention the two of them because Lubert is a co-founder of Nelvana and produced the first season of Inspector Gadget, and Peter Sauter wrote the first three Care Bears movies: Droid, Strawberry Shortcake, Babar, a bunch of other stuff. He was a uh, head writer for the first season of Inspector Gadget, and this movie was sort of the big thing that Nelvana did. They put like all their eggs in one basket, and as a result, they this sort of changed their trajectory for years to come afterwards because they then had to take on different kinds of projects yeah. than what they wanted to do because this movie lost them so much money. Yeah, this movie was a... a it was almost a studio killer for them. Yeah. Uh, speaking, so it's not quite Titan A.E. Yeah, but. so speaking of the studio, the producer of this movie, producers of this movie, uh, you have Michael Hirsch, who's one of the other co-founders of Nelvana. He did stuff like uh, Roly Poly Ollie, Johnny Test, Arthur, Kalilu, everyone's favorite bald asshole, Kalilu, and Beetlejuice. Uh, uh, yeah, the other producer. We'll have to do that one at some point because that was a great one. Halloween. I'm requesting it now myself. I don't okay. care. Yeah. Uh, we also had Patrick Lubert. Um, again. Again, yeah. uh, who was involved with Nirvana. This movie has sort of an interesting. It has a sort of interesting story with the production. It spent several years in sort of production hell. It did. Had several uh, concept changes. At one point, it was called Drats! Exclamation point! And it was aimed at children, <laughs> which is a total conversation for us to get into. It had over 300 animators and nearly put Nirvana out of business, as I mentioned. The animation has a sort of unusually high quality for the time. Uh, everything was hand-drawn. This is sort of pre-computer graphics. They were really just starting to get going. And so there were they were used for only a few like still images for this movie, but everything was basically hand drawn, mm -hmm. you know, and the production for this started in 79. So think back to what else animated was going on in 1979. Think about this movie. If you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, maybe just go look up uh, images or clips of it and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The animation quality in this movie is the bar is set really high, yeah. like absurdly high. Yeah, it really is. So the director part of this movie is a little confusing too. So there are... I put this in here because I thought this was interesting. This is just yeah. stuff I came up with on my own, kind of looking around. So this movie was originally never released on, on video. It wasn't released originally. Um, you could only get it sort of bootleg copies at Comic-Cons or other kinds of conventions. People who had recorded it off of, what was it, on HBO... When it was later, when, yeah, yeah. So, and and you could actually mail Nelvana, I believe, eighty dollars, and then they would send you in the mail a VHS copy that was based off of a TV broadcast of the movie because they did not have the original film because it got lost in a fire. Yeah. Uh, but the movie itself was directed by Clive A. Smith. He is one of the co uh, other co-founders of Nelvana. And he was involved with the Star Wars Christmas special, which really put Nelvana on the map. And was uh, the, in, involved with the Care Bears movie. He also directed A Cosmic Christmas. And he uh, was the director of that Star Wars Christmas special. The animated part that had the first 
uh, depiction of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. It really is the only thing that's halfway decent about that. We covered it before. Uh, and it's still not great. Yeah, it's yeah, being, it's weird. Being, it's very weird. Being the uh, being the golden nugget on the on the turd that is the uh, Star, Star Wars, Wars Christmas, Christmas special is nothing to yeah, nothing to brag about. It's a, it's a tough turd to swallow. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, Ralph Bakshi is widely credited as being the person that directed this. In fact, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, one of the person's reviews actually talks about how much they like they like Bakshi's work. Mm-hmm who uh, had nothing to do with his movie. Yeah. So the music, uh, they did do, he did do fire and ice and some other things. If you don't know who Ralph Bakshi is, he's worth looking up to. Yeah. The but, music is, is probably the best thing about this movie because this movie is, I mean, it's not a musical per se, but it involves music. The, the whole, the whole the name thing, is rock and rule. Yeah, like the, it, the whole it thing involves characters that are in bands or that are singers. So music plays a large role in, in the, uh, the music's the best part of that, this yeah. whole movie, and like I said, it's not a musical. They don't sing songs really to propel the story along, like you would do in a traditional musical, or they don't really do songs that express things about you know, like your typical Disney musical, express things in the story. It's really like the music is parts of the parts of the movie where the characters who are in bands or singers are actually performing their their songs. Yeah, it's more of like the soundtrack to the to the movie. It's like a music video almost. It, it really it, is. It turns into a music video because before music videos were a thing. Yeah, yeah, and and personally, the the artists that they used were uh, some of the, the some, some of the, the biggest best. heavy hitters of their time. Yeah, and, and remember, this movie started production in '79 and came out in '83. So when you think about the people who are involved in the singing roles of these movies, because this yeah. is your typical movie with with music or with singers in yeah. it. Where you I mean, have, some of them are very iconic. Yeah, you have one person who's the singing voice of a character and the other person who is the speaking voice of a character. So in terms of music, Patricia Cullen was uh, was the the music director. Of they this. did like the uh, sort of background music. Yeah, the and underscore. Stuff, the underscore. Yeah. And then uh, you had a couple of people. Let's see if you know these names. You had Debbie Harry from Blondie, who uh, who sang Angel's Song and the Invocation Song. Um, she is, like I said, super famous for the band Blondie. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's all of your dad's like crush from like uh, wish fulfillment from oh, the seventies. Yeah. 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 From the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, She's re- like a punk, like a early, early punk rock, uh, like alternative rock sort of leading figure. Mm-hmm. She has a very sort of haunting voice. Uh, cheap trick also was, was in this. They do the song born to raise hell and I'm the man and Ohm sweet Ohm. Which I don't remember that song, but Cheap Trick is most famous probably for I Want You to Want Me. Mm -hmm. If you've ever heard that song, that's them. And the next person is Lou Reed, who uh, is the lead guitarist, singer, and principal songwriter for The Velvet Underground. And The Velvet Underground is... I mean, we could actually talk all day about just this musical cast, but (laughs) but The Velvet Underground is actually not a hugely popular rock slash punk commercially uh, popular like yeah not commercial you don't I hear mean, them on the radio a lot no like you ne- and you never really did uh, they were famously managed by Andy Warhol if you know who that is and they're mostly considered to be a, a just highly influential underground rock band more than anything mm-hmm. else like like 
anybody who plays in the rock genre in the last 30 years would probably cite Velvet Underground as some One sort of, of influence. influence yeah. You know, they do either the... because it's trendy or because it actually is true. I don't I don't know. But yeah. And in this movie, Lou Reed sings a song. My name is Mock and Triumph. Uh, the next uh, the next band is Earth, Wind, and Fire. They do a they do a very I mean Earth, Wind, and Fire is a disco sounding sort of funk. Well, this is 1979, so yeah. that makes lots of sense. Yeah, and they do a song called Dance, 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 and uh, they they provide percussion for some other parts. Um, like I said, they're a soul funk pop band of the 1970s. They did a little bit of sort of pseudo disco. Um, they did songs like September and Let's Groove. Uh, those are probably the two of their most famous ones because those are like wedding staples. So, you know, you go to a, a, a you go to a white person wedding, you're probably gonna, you're probably <laughs> yeah. gonna hear uh, September, I'm sure, at some point. But you'll probably hear it at a, a baseball game or something yeah. like that. Melanie Brown, we've actually talked about her before because she's Cheer Bear and Baby Tugs from the Care Bears. But I believe she's I believe she legally changed her name to Melly Fresh at some point. Oh. She's actually a voice actor slash uh, recording artist and, and she's actually done a bunch of stuff like Strawberry Shortcake and Inspector Gadget and you know a bunch of other random like voice acting work but yeah. Iggy Pop is also in this and he sings a song in this called Pain and Suffering and it's actually a song that's not in the, the version that we watch yeah it's it's in a it's in a different version so uh, Iggy Pop is a singer but Probably most known for Lust for Life and The Real Child. Real Wild um, Child. The Real Wild Child, sorry. Which you can hear when you watch uh, Crocodile Dundee when they're heading to the punk bar. Sorry, I, yeah. I, know my, I know my Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, and when he was with the Stooges, he uh, sang uh, famously Passenger and Search and Destroy. Um, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he's considered kind of a big deal. Yeah, and uh, I think my one of my favorite uh, interviews with him is the one that Anthony Bourdain did when the oh, two of them, yeah. when the two of them yeah. talked about being old, old uh, salty assholes that that used to do <laughs> tons of drugs and didn't remember where they woke up. And then the the interview was on his show was uh, it was no reservations, I think, or whatever the Maybe other the CNN one. Yeah, the C it might have been the CNN one. Um, and the two of them are like drinking wine and walking on the beach and then they stop and they eat like shrimp somewhere. It's like very really, weird to be like yeah, Iggy really Pop fan- and Anthony Bourdain like just kind of yeah. slumming it on the beach with a $400 bottle of wine or whatever Exactly. It is. And then uh, at the end of this, Debbie Harry and uh, Robin Zandar, who's the lead singer of Cheap Trick, uh, sing a song called Send Love Through. And uh, that's that's the, the last song of the uh, of, of the movie. Um, there's a bunch of production companies. We're just going to mention them because I don't want to be here all night just talking about production companies. It's uh, MGM, Nelvana, Canadian Film Development Corporation, Famous Players, and Canada Trust. Very quickly, though, we need to mention Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer or MGM because they're a, a big reason why the film didn't get a really good release. So They didn't know what to do with it, right? Yeah, it, it, you know what? Actually, I'm going to save it because there's con- controversy. Uh, controversy. We, can, we can discuss controversy later, and and they're part of that. So I'm going to save it. Actually, yeah. we're going to stick it in our pocket and save it for later. All right. So let's talk about the cast then. Uh, the cast. So this movie takes place in the post-apocalyptic future. I think the beginning of the movie it explains. They actually have a voiceover that explains what happened to the world. The war was over. The only survivors were street animals, dogs, cats, and rats. From them, a new race of mutants evolved. That was a long time ago. 
Mark, a legendary super rocker, has retired to Old Town. There, his computers work at deciphering an ancient code which would unlock a doorway between this world and another dimension. Obsessed with his dark experiment, Mark himself searches for the last crucial component. A very special voice. So you have main characters that are... They're evolved dogs and cats and rats. And... If you didn't, and I, I believe this is a production thing, that they added that at the beginning because people didn't understand. Like yeah, test, yeah. You test told me audience, that. Test yeah. audiences had no idea what the hell was going on. Yeah, because the, the, the characters, they're not even... I mean, imagine Disney. Like, I think of Goof Troop. How, yeah, how anthropomorphic, they're, anthropomorphic dog dogs. people. I liken it more to... Uh, there was a series that... A series of, of short animated films that Disney did, I want to say in like the 60s or 70s, that featured Goofy as an everyman. No, those were earlier because... Those Dis- were like the 50s? La- Disney's last animated was a Mickey You're right. one in 19... I think 1953. So... This is on the top of my head, so don't... Don't, you know, come after me, uh, Flesh Bros. But, yeah, it was, uh, I think, 1953 is a Mickey Mouse cartoon. But it was so, the Mr. Wheeler and all yeah, of those. So, so Disney produced... Yeah. Disney produced those, these short those were films... Those the 40s, I think. With, with Goofy... In an everyman role where where he was like he was working in an office and he was doing all this stuff. And if you compare that goofy to the goof the like the, the the classic goofy, the goofy from like the everyman cartoons, he his nose was much less pronounced. He didn't have the long ears. He looked more like a man. I mean, he still looked mostly like goofy with yeah. The, but, but he looked more like a man. He didn't have the super then, pronounced snout. If you took that and then you softened it up further. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting at is, is you had this, this, well, that's what, I was what thinking these of were like, like dogs. That's what I was thinking of PJ from Goof Troop. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit like that. You know what I mean? You Where had, he, he looks like a person's face, but he's got like a weird goofy nose sort of. Yeah. Like so all of our, nose. all of our main characters are essentially highly evolved dogs. Except and, for I think Mock might be a rat. Or because, a cat. Or a cat. Yeah, one of the, one one of of the, the two. two. Yeah, in and so Jinx Yomi joke. <laughs> so I'm four. Leave me alone. <laughs> so Omar is one of our main characters and he is one of those. He's he's in a band with uh, a couple of the other characters and he is one of these dogs. And it's weird because you don't really notice anything weird about them. They don't have like long floppy ears. That you don't notice anything weird about them until they turn in profile. Because then you see how long their snouts are. But yeah. most of the time, you don't see that. They just sort of look a little weird. I yeah. don't know. So Omar is voiced by... and this Two is, people. Yeah, this is a controversy. That he's we vo- can get into later. Yeah, he's voiced by uh, Greg Salata, who's a voice actor who had small roles in movies like Weekend at Bernie's, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. And he was also voiced... But keep in mind, those were after this was made. Yeah. So that's a sort of... Important. Yeah. So he was a nobody at the time. He was a nobody. So he was also later redubbed and voiced by Paul Lamott, who uh, he had at the time had won a Golden Globe for movies like uh, American Graffiti and Puppet, Puppet Master, Master was later. He Puppet didn't win a Golden Globe later. for that, but he was in Puppet Master yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. So and then Robin, like we said earlier, Robin Zendar is is the singing voice. So what what we need to i think we can get into it now is that there was an issue with there was an issue with the studio with the original voice actor for this Greg Salata 
who was, like Chris said, a nobody. He he had no real prominent acting roles. And the studio was worried that no one would go to see the movie because this person in one of the lead roles was a nobody. So they got Paul Amat, who was who had a little less bit... Less of a nobody. Yeah, he. I want to say he had like a little bit of gravitas. Uh, they got him to literally re-record all of the lines that Greg Salata recorded. The version that we watched is the one with Paul Lamott, and I have to say that his voice acting is awful. Yeah, and you know it, what? It is hot garbage. You know what? And I can, Hot garbage. I can understand that because there's a difference between... There's a difference between... Voice actor, voice acting, and regular acting. With regular acting, you get to interact with people, and we've talked about this before. You get to interact with people. You're directly talking to someone, or just why the best voice acting usually happens when they're all in the same room. Yeah, or they're just like like genius voice actors, like Mark Hamill, who you know could voice act his way out of a paper bag. Yeah, and and so voice acting is much different for the most part. It's much different because you're like. Like Chris said, you're alone in a room. You're you're acting with yourself and just maybe the director giving you some direction. You have a script in front of you, and typically you're not interacting with anyone else. So that could explain how bad he was if he was a more traditional actor. It's I mean it's it's real bad though. Like like it it's real real, real, real bad. bad. We'll talk real, about real, 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 real bad. We'll talk about it a little later too. Uh, the next character is Angel. She is voiced by Susan Roman. We've uh, actually talked about her quite a bit, uh, Susan Roman. Yep. So she voice acted Sailor Jupiter in the original dub of Sailor Moon. She's Melissa Raccoon in the Raccoons. We last talked about her as the voice of Champ Bear in the Care Bears. She's Officer Lewis from Robocop, the animated series, and Mrs. Miller from the Nutcracker Prince. So uh, several things that we've covered. And then yeah. obviously Debbie Harry did the uh, singing voice for Angel. Yeah, so Omar and Angel are... Can I just say, by the way, Angel seems intentionally to look less animal-like. They yeah. draw her to be the most human... Uh, with seriously overly exaggerated breasts, it's ridiculous. Yeah, the the female um, characters, well, the her in particular, the female characters by and large look more human human than the male characters do. I think it's because they're they were intentionally sexualized, though. Yeah, I mean, like like there are scenes. I want to feel. I want. I want this to be another Roxanne from uh, oh, the Goofy movie. Oh, I want to feel oh. ways about stuff. Well, we already watched it. I know you felt ways about stuff. So. Yeah, come on. That was like that was like a whole generation of we- of weird kids crush. I'm really attracted to the anthropomorphic dog lady. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why Sean requested this. Maybe he has some unrequited love for uh dog, dog ladies. Dog ladies? I don't Hey, yeah. you know what? No judgment. Yeah. No judgment. So, so Omar and Angel are the two main character two of the main characters. They're the leads the they're the singer the protagonist and protagonist ish. Yeah. yeah, I would say they're the protagonists. Yeah, Omar's sort of an anti-hero in a way, like he's just a like reluctant an hero who's an asshole that nobody likes. Yeah. Yeah, and and they're they're both in a band along with a couple other with two other guys. We'll get to in a second. But they're both in a band and they're looking to like get their big Famous. break. They're they're, you know, they're trying to find their big break. And their big break well, at least one of them, uh, one of their big breaks uh, comes from the next Mock character named Swagger. Mock. Yeah, Mock Swagger, who... Which which you never hear his last name is Swagger. And you told me a story about that, right? Yeah, that he had wanted... The, the, the writers had wanted his name to be Mock Swagger, obviously as a homage, parody, whatever, of Mick Jagger. And if you look at him, 
as as a character, he sort of carries himself, kind of looks like Mick Jagger. He's got big exaggerated mouth. He he walks and talks and holds himself sort of like Mick Jagger does. And they wanted him, they wanted Mick Jagger to sort of, or they wanted the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger to, to sort of sign off on that. And they told them, no, not at all. So they had to just leave his name as Mock. So you never actually hear Mock Swagger. You don't see it anywhere in the movie. But if you look up the character's name, the character's name is Mock Swagger. Oh yeah, yeah. Like pretty much everywhere on the interwebs. Yeah. And, and the character is voiced by Don Franks who is a Canadian actor and father of actress Cree Summer, who we've talked about her several times. Yes. And we've talked about Don Franks also because he was the voice of Boba Fett in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Yeah. And he voiced Dr. Claw for, I think, 25 episodes of mm-hmm. Inspector Gadget, along with his daughter, who I think was the voice of Penny. So, yep. Yeah. And... I think he's also the voice of Sabretooth for the X-Men animated series. For the yeah. Movies. Yeah. Sabretooth. So, so Mock is, Mock's storyline is really weird. I, well, his voice acting, by the way, is good. Oh, yeah. He's the best voice actor in the entire movie. Clear, like, leagues and bounds. Yeah. Because he he's, a actually, he's actually a voice actor. Yeah. So, and, and then the singing is also great. Yeah. So it, his character is sort of like the complete package. The complete package. Yeah. And and the, the storyline with Mock is kind of confusing a little bit. So Mock is, in the world of rock and roll, Mock is a older rock and roll legend. He's he's uh, maybe past his prime. That's what the implication is, is that he's past his prime. But he's he's at this level of reverence. And, where and, he can do no wrong. Yeah, where everyone still wants to go see him, but he's not as popular. And in his world, he's a sort of musician slash magician. Yeah. Which, you know, either be a full-time magician or don't bother at all, I guess. I don't know. Don't it, half-ass two things. Whole-ass one thing. That's true. Yeah, and, and he does both. Yeah, and, and you... <sighs> which is a plot point, weirdly enough. His, his magicianship, he wants to resurrect a satanic demon from another d- dimension yeah. and use it to enslave the world so he can do more magic. And like, it makes no sense whatsoever. And that's like tr- I, trying to pay attention and piece I, it together. I think what his plot's very thin. Yeah, I, I think what his goal is, is that he wants to, he wants to summon this demon, this great power so that he can show people that he's still is like powerful and means something. And essentially he just wants to kill them all. And to do that, he has been searching the world over for this voice, this specific voice that he needs to read or to sing a song that will release the demon. So the vocal pattern has to match exactly. Yeah. So that's where, that's where he finds angel who has the voice that he's looking for. Computer report on our projects. Progress on this project unchanged. Show me the Armageddon key. Have you finished decoding it? Decoding not yet complete, Mark. I see. Most recent calculations show you will still need a living voice. The vibrations of this voice will create the doorway through which the being will enter this dimension. 
The ring I designed will identify the exact voice frequency you Yes, require. yes, thank you. You're welcome. And he essentially snatches her up and says, "I'm your, I'm your ticket." You know, it's like if, it's like if Mick Jagger walked into a, uh, you know, a, a, a bar when someone was singing and just grabbed the person who was singing and saying, "Like, I will make you famous. Let's go." Yeah. So that's that's the plot point. And of course, he's evil, so he traps her. He tricks his their friends into leaving. And, and, you know, tries to get them away. He uses his muscle bound idiots to like to, to do that too. And, uh, he eventually uses her to open up that rift in the dimension and summon the, the big demon thing that they have to song battle at the end to. So the next character is Dizzy and he's one of the band members. He's the drummer of the band and he's, he's kind of chubby and he's got glasses and he's voiced by Dan Hennessy, who we last talked about as the voice of Braveheart Lion and the Care Bears, mm-hmm. and the voice of Audric from Jason the Weird Warriors. Weird Warriors! And the voice of Robocop from the animated series. So, he's also Chief Quimby from Inspector Gadget, and he's done stuff on Dino Saucers, My Pet Monster, Highlander, the animated series, a little-known show there that I kind of want us to do, because it's, uh, it's very weird. Cadillacs, dinosaurs, and like dozens and dozens, and I just said, screw it, I'm done. By the way, so, Highlander, the animated series, let's take a movie about chopping heads off and turn it into a kid's show. A cartoon show that we play uh, on weekdays. Yay! Yay. Uh, character, the next character up is Stretch, who is the, the fourth member of the band. He's played by Greg Duffel, and uh, he Greg Duffel also plays a character named Zip, who is one of the three... It's like they have like a triplet uh, goon squad that Mock employs, and and Zip is one of those characters. And Toad and Sleazy are the other, and they're voiced by Chris Wiggins and Brent Titcomb, uh, respectively. No Heart from Care Bears the Animated Series is uh, one of the characters that Chris Wiggins did. He was in Star Wars Droids and Alf Tales and the 1960s Spider-Man series and some hmm. other stuff. And uh, Titcomb is actually a voice actor musician from the folk rock group Three's a Crowd. Hmm. So uh, kind of weird. Uh, we, we can kind of... There are some other characters. I don't know. Do you... Yeah, no, they're, they're all... The only Cindy, one I... maybe, but... Yeah, know. the only one I want to mention is there's a sailor. And just because I like the voice actor, actually, I love the voice actor. There's a sailor who has about a minute and a half of screen time, and he's played by Maurice LaMarche. Oh, and then if we're going to do that, then we got to mention the other like bit character, Aunt Edith, who is a old lady slash tattoo artist that Omar and the band go to for help. And it's voiced by Catherine O'Hara, Kevin's mom from Home Alone. And speaking of Beetlejuice. Yeah. Delia Dietz and uh, from the from the yeah. movie Beetlejuice. Not yeah. The yeah. The movie. Yeah. Uh, Sally and Shock from Nightmare for Christmas. And she's done all the Christopher Guest movies. And yeah, I, I love Catherine O'Hara. She's she's hilarious it's crazy to me that this movie that that this movie it's crazy to me that Catherine o'hara was sally from nightmare before christmas it's just it's weird i don't i don't think of her in that role i think most people don't because it's easier to hear her Mm -hmm. as shock right Mm -hmm. so you can definitely hear her as shock from nightmare before christmas and you can i think you can actually sort of easily hear her here yeah, but Sally is a little. I think it's because she the character's voice is a little more disguised. Yeah. But, uh, do you want to get into the movie a little bit? Yeah. So, like I like I was saying, this movie is about this. 
it's frustrating to try and think about what this movie's about because this movie is the you it have, feels very edge lordy. Yeah, you have okay, so you have Omar and Angel and and Dizzy and the other guy. You have the their band who is trying to find their big break. And it it starts off as like a band dynamic thing where where Angel wants to sing her song and Omar's the lead singer and he's more of like a rock and roll type singer because, you know, that's that's who he is. And Angel's like, no, I want to sing my song. And so I have, get- to, I have to be honest when they're singing their songs, there's one where it's just him. And then there's one where she comes up and sings. I don't like her song. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was cheesy and not well done. And I'm, his song was great. Yeah, his song is more of a rock and roll song. And her song is more sort of airy pop. Yeah, I did like I did like her song at the end, though. I like their song that they sang together. That one's fine, yeah. But, yeah. but, the, but the one in the talent show. Let's, yeah. let's play them like sort of side by side so people know what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, now join me, Mylar, in welcoming tonight's last act. And maybe it's just me. I think I just like his voice. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. He's got that sort of grab, that growl that you need. Mm-hmm. And and he does it in a way that's got really good pitch. So, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just sort of biased, but. Yeah. So, like like I was saying, Mock. So, Mock hears her sing. And he wants to offer her. He wants to offer her like fame and fortune. So he creatures on them and follows them yeah, so like he, a like a super creep. Yeah, because she's saying, "No, we're a band. I won't I won't, you know, abandon my my bandmates." And eventually she and Omar, who you find out are a couple, I guess. Uh, yeah, at some point they're like in this garden and they're talking and then they start making out and there's this quote that I felt like really sort of exemplified how I felt at the time and it was just weird that they said exactly what I was thinking you know everything got a little weird and it did it did get weird it got awkward Uh, the characters their sort of chemistry didn't really make any sense their dialogue sort of didn't go anywhere Uh, it, it was just I didn't feel like the scene served any purpose other than to show that they had some sort of weird love interest and Mach was a creeper yeah, and they they wind up on essentially makeout point and called Thunder Hill. Yeah, the Thunder. There's Down like Under. legit cars like rocking around and moaning going on. Like yeah. people are like actually fucking. Yeah, in these cars. and this is part of the reason that MGM had a hard time figuring out how to market this movie because you know at this point in time in you know the early 1980s animation is for children. Yeah, late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, animation is for children. So you have this movie Not that's... for adults. You have this movie that has pretty much adult themes and, you know, two characters having sex or it's, it's implied heavily that they're that they're going to have sex. So, like, who do you sell this movie to? So they're interrupted in the middle of their... They're, they're interrupted pre-coitus and uh, by one of, of Mock's goons. 
And after he conveys a message to them, then they basically, I think Angel jumps on Omar and then the, the van starts a rockin', so don't come a knockin'. So the two characters bang. Yeah, yeah, it's just sort of awkward and weird. And so they all end up at his house and things get weird. Uh, and this it, is where Mock tells her that he wants her, not not the band. She's, and the dialogue here with the band is awful. It is terrible, the voice acting. It is not good Yeah, at and, all. and the thing that I don't like it's about... It's flat. It's, it's like a... It, the lines are delivered in a way that reminds me of a seventh grade holiday play. Well, and and the, the problem is, too, that they didn't have much to work with because the the dialogue in this scene is terrible. I think it's more the writing than anything else. That's what I else. mean. The, the, the writing, writing is just awful. That's what I mean. The writing, the writing of the dialogue is just terrible because you have you have Omar who is being obnoxious to be obnoxious like he's what you would think of if you were trying to think of like a really stereotypical like angsty teenager like whatever dad okay i'll do whatever you say because you say like that's the type of attitude that omar has ah sweet angel you look even more beautiful in person than on stage Mm. better get some antiseptic on that before it festers Well, that's uh, Omar, our lead singer, and and Enough about them. Let's talk about you. What did you think of my last album? I loved it. I bought it, too. My gerbil uses it for a room divider. But it's through the whole movie yeah it's the whole movie and that's part of that's part of omar's problem as a character is that he's he's hard to he's not sympathetic no he's hard to sympathize with he's he's almost impossible to sympathize with because after every scene that he's in you're like man fuck this asshole anti-heroes are fine you're supposed to sympathize with but anti-heroes have a charm a that's redeeming why quality. That's why that's why Han Solo is so popular. Yeah, they're 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 pluckish rogues. They're they're you know scoundrels with a heart of gold. Omar so is just Han an, Solo. Yeah. So Omar <laughs> is just an asshole who takes everything for granted yeah. and is a jerk to everyone. Like he's literally a jerk to his bandmates. He's a jerk to Angel. We never really find out what his motivation is for helping her. Yeah, and because because at some point uh you know, yes, they're supposed to be quote in love, but when she leaves he's like, "No, nah, F it, I'm done." So what's your motivation? And and this What is, is the motivation? This is something that I've talked about, I think I've talked about before. I'm pretty sure I've talked about it before. This is this is a it's a staple of good writing. Show don't tell. Right? So we have no reason to believe that Omar and Angel are in any kind of actual romantic relationship because he treats her like shit. Right. And she seeming she's seemingly with him for no reason. Maybe he's the only eligible human like dog creature that's around, but you don't have as a viewer, you don't have any indication of them having actual feelings towards each other other than them being like, I'm not letting you take my girl. You know, it's it's But why? Because reasons. Yeah. So Mock Mock essentially drugs the rest of the band. He gives them this thing that's essentially like heroin or cocaine. It's like a it's like a glowing orb that sends them into an acid trip. And he sends them all back to Ohm Town, which I think he's in Nuke York. Well, I think I think they 
so he's so he's at his compound and they put them all into a car and roll them down a hill. That, yeah, and they almost die. They wake up halfway down and and essentially live by accident. Mm-hmm. And Mock takes off in his house turns into a giant weird Zeppelin. sort of steampunky. Uh, Sci-fi dirigible. Yeah. It's super cool. I mean, again, the animation is great. Uh, the concepts, the world is beautiful and it's cool and it's grimy and it feels real. The execution was terrible. The execution on the dialogue is just so bad. So he takes her, I think that's where he takes her to Nuke York and takes her to... Ha, ha, yeah. get it? It's like New York, guys. Yeah, and he, and he uh, has her sing... And I guess the 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 venue that they were at was not powerful enough. There wasn't enough power in at the venue to open up the portal with her singing. So it like blows everything up and kills everyone. Yes, <laughs> Except- but before we get to that, we get a really great scene in a nightclub. Oh yeah. The nightclub scene. That is the controversial controversial uh, how do I how would I say that with your weird I don't know. I just say controversy, so controversial. I don't okay. know. All right. So yeah, we'll go with that. That's the scene. That's yeah. the scene so, that made people go, "How are we gonna market this?" There's boobs and drugs and yeah, sex, like actual stuff. The uh, angel is being held captive essentially by Mock, and you run into another character. So like I said, Mock has these triplets, these three guys that are his goons. Turns out they have a sister who looks exactly like them. They're these big, burly, giant, like you know triangle shaped uh characters with little tiny legs and big giant upper bodies and they're all on roller skates and she looks just she like looks them exactly but with pigtails. like them. pigtails and a skirt and her name is cindy for cinderella cindy rella yeah huh? get it so We're clever uh, so angel tr- uh lies to her and tricks her into believing that he's that she's one of mock's new like groupies or sex slaves or something and turns out cindy i guess is one too and she sneaks out with Angel to That's this nightclub. When we get the Earth, Wind, and Fire music. Yeah. So you which get this, totally fits because it, yeah. it's like Studio 54. Oh, yeah. Like like legit Studio 54. There's a, there's a great like gender bender scene where one of... Because uh, Omar and his bandmates are looking for Angel and they end up in the same place sort of by accident. And at one point, one of the bandmates is uh, on the floor and he starts like doing one of those like long takes from from ankle up to butt and mm-hmm. it and it definitely is like lady legs and this like very sexualized uh, female looking body and then the head turns and then it's a, a guy with like a wispy uh, uh creeper stash yeah and this whole sequence it's about the whole sequence is about 5 to 7 minutes long and it's rife with drugs and sex and and it's fun yeah it's and and for an adult yeah and it's it's supposed to be i would assume it's supposed to be indicative of what you would like if you just did a bunch of cocaine and you were in a club and you're just like watching stuff go because everything's sort of blurred and in a rush and they run into all these weird characters that are in 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 the uh in the club and they eventually see and uh find uh cindy and angel but they can't get her and Angel ends up getting taken to... Well, Angel goes running out and yeah. Omar's chasing after her. Mm-hmm. And when he does, he hears what he thinks is Angel, but instead it's... No face. It's some random girl who looks like a like a female version of the Crypt Keeper with breast implants. She looks like a ghoul from the Fallout series. Yes, yes. 
And she's disguising her voice to sound just like Angel, which I was thinking, well, if she can do that, why didn't Mock just use her for the vo- for the demon thing? Oh, but, details. Uh, details, details. So, so they knock, they knock, uh... They get Angel and Omar and, and take her away and suspend Omar and his buddies in a... In a big giant orb, and they essentially blackmail her into singing the song because she doesn't want to do it anymore. And they threaten to essentially kill the band if she doesn't sing. And she's like, "Fine, fine, I'll sing, I'll sing." Look, forget it. I won't sing. And what have you done to the guys? I offer you fame, riches, and a crack at the top. You refuse. I accept that. Good. But Where's then Omar? a chance to work with me, mock, and you say, no, thank you. I'm very disappointed. Hey, listen. But still hopeful. Mock! So try to realize that I must be firm when I say to you, dear angel, sing. Or they fry! And so they go to Carnegie Hall, Carnegie Hall, right? Ah, uh, Carnegie Hall. Ah, uh, and they and they set up to sing the song. And this is where they dress. And you've probably, if you if you've ever looked up this movie, you've probably seen this. Well, outfit Carnegie on her. Hall gets destroyed by. The oh, that's demon. the one where they get. Then they destroyed. go to a power plant, so they have more power. Yeah. More power. Yeah, and like I was saying, if you've if you've seen this, if you've looked up this movie before, you've probably seen this scene, and it's it's Angel essentially strapped to the wall in a very buxom yeah and she's, scantily clad she's wearing like a outfit. toga with with the with some serious side boob Massive action side boob yeah and she's forced to sing this song and of course the demon does come out and it's this big giant demon and it starts an killing ad- people do you think the demon coming out is an allegory for a penis maybe it's her latent sexuality i don't uh, know uh. but well you know what freud would say or no. maybe i mean it is a red demon maybe she's uh being red visited. rocket or not oh, uh. <laughs> oh that's red awful. Rocket. so the demon comes out and starts killing people and you had heard from mock's computer earlier in the movie that there's that there is uh when two voices become one or something that it can send the demon back so of course the two voices becoming one are Omar, are Omar and, Angel, and Angel singing a song together, and that actually forces the demon back into the hole, but not before sending Mock down with him because forces the demon back into the hole. Yeah, because <laughs> Mock had of his of the three the three goons are all brothers, and Mock goes to attack Omar. With like a gun or something. And the derpy one the, jumps yeah, the, in front of him to save him. Yeah, because he realizes now that... Now there's two versions of this, by the way. There is the original version and then the American version. In the American version, he does not come back. He's dead. In the initial version, he was knocked out but does survive. Which yeah. is a distinction to lay out. Yeah, so the the derpy one earlier in the movie was watching some like kids show. 
And the kid show was telling him the difference between good and bad. And he's one of those people that doesn't realize he's the bad guy. And then once he does realize he's the bad guy, he's, he's like, oh, like, oh, oh no, I got to do something good. So that's why he tries to save Omar. And in doing so, in the version we saw, he gets killed. And so the oldest brother, who's the most like the most one with the most functionality, he gets all pissed off because he's like a real thug goon. He gets all pissed off and he throws Mock into the, the fire demon pit, hole, the demon pit, the demon hole. <laughs> and Mock gets dragged down into the hole with the demon. I like that the demon and the demon hole because it's like a big pentagram in the ground. It's it's like very satanic ritual light, mm-hmm. uh, which which to be fair, this is 1980. Uh, 1979 it actually makes a lot of sense because there was this big uh, there actually i think there's a series coming out or maybe it already came out about uh the satanic ritual scares of the 1980s and 90s and how everybody thought that there was these underground satanic cults that actually were just not true and um yeah it's it's very it's very fascinating but but that made me think of that uh, that's why earlier when I said very edgelordy, I felt like the whole satanic ritual thing was like some teenager going, yeah, I'm going to rebel against my mom with some satanic rituals, man. Yeah. But it's, it's like, it's very like sort of harmless. I did not show Eleanor this movie, by the way. Yeah. I wouldn't think you would. Um, it's very adult in theme and execution. Uh, I didn't like this movie really. Aside from the songs, the writing, I, yeah. the writing was so bad. And here's the thing. The, the Omar voice acting, was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. The voice acting, the character development, the the writing is bad. The animation and the music are fantastic. Yeah. If you, you know what you could do, if you could just isolate the soundtrack. And, and you can and, do that. And you just can... play that over and over again while watching the movie muted. Cool. I'm you, sure there's you, a cut out that's there. Enough. I'm sure there's a cut out there that just isolates all the songs. And ignores the rest of the movie because you really don't need the rest of the movie. Like when we did it, when we did our episode on Captain EO, we talked about how Captain EO was essentially a paper thin plot that was wrapped around Michael Jackson dancing and act dancing and singing. This movie is a paper thin plot that is nonsensical at best. That's wrapped around amazing singers singing pretty good songs. Yeah, well, the difference is, is Captain Neo was only 17 minutes long yeah, and had movie, almost no dialogue. And this has a ton of dialogue that's really This movie is an executed. hour longer than that and has, yeah, yeah lots of... Super- well, and to be fair, the director of Captain Neo was Francis Ford Coppola. So. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. But, you know, this, the satanic ritual stuff, the drug use, all of that made it really hard for them to find a market for this. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no soundtrack for this ever released, though some of the songs did appear as a B-side on singles for some of these artists later. Yeah, the the, the one, the, the Evocation song, I, I believe the Evocation song from Debbie Harry is a song that is like super similar to another song she released, like shortly after this movie yeah. came out. Well, and, and as we mentioned before with their not really being much of a DVD uh, VHS release until way, way later. Now you can actually get a DVD release of this, but in the, the bonus features on that, the, the commentary talks about how the management at GM, when the management changed and the new leaders of MGM had a hold of this project, they didn't really know what to do with it. They weren't really enthusiastic about it. And uh, so they sort of tanked it because they were worried it was going to damage their their image, mm-hmm. which I get. 
But, you know, they they ended up having several revisions to the script, which is why it also sounds so choppy and weird. And it also changed the flow of the story, which is why the flow seems so weird. And then the release date uh, was moved around a bunch, which raised costs. And so since they weren't happy with it, the movie got shelved and had a single release. I, I don't think it's in my notes, but I think it got released somewhere in Boston. Hmm. It was like a one night in Boston or something. But now, now you can actually get a VHS or a DVD copy or whatever. I think it was a 2010. It had a blue wit, a Blu-ray. Yeah, I, so, I, I believe we both watched it on YouTube. No, I down, I downloaded it. I can't even remember how I watched this. I had it though. Uh, well, you know the thing is, is Sean went on vacation for a couple weeks, and I we did. had lost this episode uh, as well as. The the last episode that we re- that was released, Dennis the Menace, uh, sort of partially lost. We had to go back in and partially re-record stuff to fix it, and so it was. That I was think a, we did a pretty good job. I think we did a pretty good job. I don't think you guys would be able to know what was what, but that's maybe. fine. <laughs> that maybe, maybe maybe you will. Maybe it's the booze. Uh, I just I feel like with this movie, um, there's just a lot of weird stuff in it that, uh, it makes it sort of forget forgettable to the point where that's why you don't remember where you watched it or how you watch it because I don't technically remember either. Yeah. I uh, think it might have been on YouTube. I think I think it was on YouTube. Well, I know that the soundtrack is on YouTube. So if you want to lo- go listen to the soundtrack, you can find it on YouTube. It's fairly easy to find. But ultimately this movie was just it is. The whole thing is on YouTube. Yep, that's right. I thought so. I you know what? I'm going to put a link to it in the description. Yeah, so ultimately this movie was just... You know, it's not terrible, but it's, it's not, not great either. It's not something... And it's a damn shame. Yeah, I would... This is something where I would go back and just listen to the music rather than rewatch it. Like, I saw it once. That was more than enough. Otherwise, like, I don't understand the point because the story is just so convoluted and weird. Like, why would you have a... Ro- okay, they combine genres, and that's what's annoying me. They combine genres. The 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 movie start. It's like a triple genre movie. You, it's a dystopian mus- future. Well, yeah, it's a dystopian post apocalyptic future, which is cool. I'm cool. fine with that. Yeah, I love that genre. Yeah, my 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 uh, my quirky favorite genre of 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 anything is post apocalyptic western. So like gun- Fallout New Vegas, basically. <laughs> so, or like Book of Eli, that like oh, that type. Okay, like okay. I like those types of movies. Mad Max. Yeah, exactly. Ish. So you have post post apocalyptic dystopian future. Yeah. You also have rock and roll movie musical. Okay. And then you have weird paranormal shit. Yeah. So they, they combine with, they combine with a, drugs and and sex yeah so and satanic rituals this movie tried but to, like but it was story, like they did it just to do it yeah the story like if they would have just stuck with two of those it would have been fine if it would have been a supernatural paranormal movie with rock and roll cool got I'm, I'm I know on we're board. gonna get hated for these opinions yeah and I don't care I'm on board if it was a post apocalyptic dystopian future with rock and roll okay cool I'm on board if it was just rock and roll. Sure, I'm on board. I don't even mind mixing all the genres together. My issue has always been uh, you can do whatever you want in a story. If you want weird satanic ritual and sex and drugs, cool. Make it work. Don't do it just to make it into a movie. 
write good dialogue, edit it well, like, and act it well. You can tell me any story you want as long as it's compelling. Yeah, and do this wasn't compelling. Way, do it in a way that's compelling. Make me believe that these characters are are have some sort of redeeming qualities. I still believe oh, God. that these characters are terrible. Yeah, I you know, I still oddly enough, I will recommend this because the animation quality in this is so high. Yeah. And the music is so good that I feel like I have no choice but to recommend it for those two reasons alone. But the acting is not great. Yeah. I, Except for Mock, as I mentioned before. Mock is good. Mock is good. Mock is good. I'd even say that maybe Angel is okay. It's Omar that really drags the entire movie down. She has almost no lines. Yeah. So. Omar is the one that drags the movie down. The, the voice actor for Omar just drags this movie down because there's no emotion behind anything he says other than just asshole attitude. I feel like maybe if we could get a hold of the original Canadian version. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I'd like to hear the original version without without uh, Lamette overdubbing it. Yeah. Because, because it just, it could have worked. It could have worked with a better voice actor. Yeah, I and also just some of the dialogue felt very pieced together too. So I I don't, you know what it sounded like the the dialogue sounded like what a, and this I say this knowing that I'm closer to one age than the other. This this is the dialogue. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah, this is the dialogue that I feel like a middle aged person in like the eighties would think that a teenager would say. Okay, I get I get it's you like. Know? If I know get, what all the cool kids are doing. It's like a yeah, it's like a fifty five year old man dabbing. Yeah, right. You, you've got you've got your forty five to fifty five year old writer who's who's like like what do those asshole kids say? Like okay, whatever old what, man. What are they talking about on the tweeters? Yeah. Oh, they're talking about it's about, a it's a series uh, of tubes. Yeah, yeah, that's how it works. You can't just put anything on it. It's not a big. It's not like a big truck. I don't know why, but you turned into a Doc Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Doc Brown slash Bernie Sanders. Yeah, <laughs> we gotta give it. We gotta give the free internet to everybody. <laughs> to one point twenty one gigawatts. So one point twenty one trillion people. Let's do it, Marty. So <laughs> well, you're my running mate. And Marty. Then when you say Marty, I think of uh, <laughs> Morty. Morty. Yeah. So I am Morty. <laughs> so you know, I I don't know. I I think that's that's where I stand. Yeah. I, I stand firmly on the plane of I feel compelled to recommend this, even though. I think it's lacking. Yeah. I I don't think it's terrible. It's just not good. I think it's a movie that you have to see at least once. Yes. 100%. Just like like Heavy Metal. Just like... uh, What are the other ones from that time period? It's Fire and Ice. Fire and Ice. Just like Heavy Metal. It's one of those movies that is like... Almost like... Okay. It's almost like how... When you study psychology, you learn about Sigmund Freud and then learn that like most of the stuff that he thought was wrong. But he's important because he's a pioneer. He was the first one to start really actually thinking about it. Yeah, and then it. you start learning about other... Yeah, other other people that actually took things the right way. Right. So, I feel not like that, this... Not that Freud is faulted because he, no. he has some things that are yeah. that make sense and are redeemable in it. You know, you get into Just that. Just like what we're talking well, about. So, you, yeah, you gotta pre- see... Pre- and postmodernism and yeah. we could get into all of that. But You have but... to see this movie. You should see this movie because it is a movie that sort of started a genre or was part of the beginning of a genre. And I think it's important to maybe watch it. 
if not for nothing else than the music and the animation, you yeah. can ignore the story. But just as seeing it as like a timepiece of the, of the time too, as a time capsule. Definitely don't show it to your children no. unless you want to answer a lot of questions that you're yeah. probably not prepared for. Or maybe that's what you're into. I don't know. But uh, Daddy, where is he putting his fist? So uh, that's probably going to do it. Kids. That's probably going to do it, it for this episode, <laughs> don't you think? It is, and and I will say I do want to thank you, Sean, for requesting it. I know that we kind of shit all over your parade. Uh, but that's at, what makes it good. But that's what makes it fun, I guess. I, you know, the truth is I'm glad because I'd actually never sat down and watched the whole thing. So, I hadn't either. I'm, I'd seen I'm, scenes, bits and pieces. We have some fun stuff coming up, you guys. Yeah. So a lot of plans. Let's, you know, plans. Let's, let's let's maybe just discuss that really quickly before before we close out. If you listen to the end, thank you, because, you know, most of you guys do, but a few guys don't. So yeah. those who don't, uh, screw you. You miss my my weird fart noises at the end, so <laughs> <laughs> I do it at each one. But our plans, we've got a couple of things coming up that we, that we are going to do. We have some concept ideas, so we might be taking, uh, we're still going to be doing this show in this format, but we might also be mixing in episodes of another concept that we're planning to kind of try out it, it literally a totally different thing something fun for sean and i we're gonna try and get our wives to participate yeah. in this new venture and uh, we also have some possible guests uh, in the future yep and lots of requests still to to work through we're doing it, it. I, I would ask if you guys like our show share it with everybody you know uh, maybe they'll like it too. Share it with the people you don't know because maybe they'll like it also. Spam everybody. Yeah, uh, we, we do this for free. We don't care about you know money, but but it's nice that people enjoy the show. And and you know summer is sort of our busiest time of the year for that. So you know definitely spread us out into the interwebs. You can check us out at childhoodremastered.com or. Uh, we have our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook accounts, and yeah. you, you can contact us through any of those. We also have acpnet.net. Yeah, that's our network, the ACPN network. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find a lot of other great shows on there that are similar uh, stuff that's like nostalgia podcasts, looking TV at old reviews, movies, yeah, yeah. It, and the, the flagship ACPN uh, podcast, uh, yeah, there's the Adventure lots of Club there. podcast. You can check that stuff out. Like Chris said, if you go to our website, we have all of our socials on there. We have a phone number you can call and leave us a message if you want. There is also a link if you guys want a shirt. They, they have shirts and mugs and stuff like that over there, too, built out for all the podcasts. So if you want to do that, I think that's there, too. Although I know some people do custom work that, you know, can always contact us that way also. So we also want to thank the person who uh, gives us our music. Yeah, John Howarth. Uh, the song is called Nascent. We've been using it since the beginning, and we really appreciate his uh, letting us use that. You can check out his link to his SoundCloud on our website under the sound section, the music section, sound and music section. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's probably going to do it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed Rock and Rule. And uh, we're looking forward to the next couple episodes we're doing. Like Chris said, the uh, the new venture and that we're planning. And also something maybe not podcast related. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So, uh, yeah, until next time, this is Sean. And Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time. <laughs>